welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Yes, thank you and welcome back to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. I am Chip Patterson. That's Barton Simmons. Barton, as we sit here, we are recording this Tuesday show. Happy September 4th to all of you listening to this, or September 5th if you got it on your commute. Um, We've got some news to get to, a tough injury loss for LSU. Since we have last spoken, we had Sunday night and Monday night football, the big results for those LSU Tigers, uh, what it means for Miami, uh, a really rough debut last night in Tallahassee for Florida. We'll get to that. And if you've clicked on this, you know that we're also going to be grading our first year coaches. So everyone knows that confidence is everything. You won't get far without it, not only in football, but anything else in life. It's why Penske gives you as much confidence as possible when you're moving by offering newer cleaner and safer trucks whether you're moving across the country or across town penske truck rental will help you move with confidence our thanks to penske truck rental uh they're they're the way to uh to get you going barton have you ever had a tough move where you maybe wish you had rented a truck uh i i try to rent i just rent the whole movers the whole deal whole deal i try to stay out i try to stay out of moving all together <laughs> i mean i've uh i i used to be a hold on to the mattress on top of your car and drive it across town. Kind of lazy. But now I'm an adult with like a salary and the ability to, to rent Penske moving trucks and, and hire some help and, and not necessarily take it like load by load in my, you know, midsize SUV. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good thing about being adults. (laughs) Yes. You know, to pay for stuff. (laughs) <laughs> it's helpful. It's very, very helpful. Uh, so our thanks so once again to Penske Moving Trucks, uh, Penske Truck Rental. Check them out if you've got any big moves coming up. Barton, the uh, we got a little bit of news first. We've got Caleb Von Chasen, stud sophomore linebacker. He was playing a, a really good game, had a, a couple tackles, a sack, a quarterback hurry. He was a, a big part of that LSU defense that just dominated Miami. And uh, we find out from Bruce Feldman first and then Ed Ogeron that he's going to be out for the rest of the year after suffering a knee injury in the fourth quarter of that game. Um, you know, this is Caleb Von Chasen is a, a player that, you know, even in, in the short time of our uh, podcast, he has been a, a prospect to watch. And now uh, they're going to be gone. What type of hit is this for LSU's defense? I don't know, man. I think it's pretty big. I think the Kalon Chase. I mean, that's that's their Arden key. That's their, their that's their. I mean, in that defense, it's pretty important to have like that edge, dynamic presence. Uh, you know, can Michael Divinity step in and be that guy? Ray Thornton, somebody like that. I mean, I don't know. I, but I think Kalon Kalon Chase and look, they've been high. Shay Dixon and our. Um, the 24-7 have been like hyping him as potentially like breaking the LSU sack record this year, like that kind of hype this year. So I, I think that's not that's not insignificant at all. I think that's a pretty big loss. Do you have it as uh, as something where on the depth chart, like I, I'm I'm in a spot right now where I I feel like I've I've got some and let's all right let's go ahead and and dig into it. So as as we've got Miami and LSU 
the instant reaction from the LSU side is a massive jump in expectations. Do you feel like you are walking away from that game with a much different set of expectations from you in what LSU can be this year? Not really, honestly. That's why I think this is a this is one of those games that I think has has a lot of potential to to have some overreactions to because look, I I picked my LSU to win. I, I thought that they would win. I thought it'd be a little closer, but when you really look at the the box score, I mean, it kind of look. There was two turnovers and none, but Miami had 18 first downs to LSU 17. Miami had 342 yards to LSU's 296. Like it wasn't as if LSU just dominated. It was it, you know, and I, and and granted, Miami's. A lot of Miami's yardage came on big plays in the pass game. Uh, it wasn't like they ever able to establish a really legitimate run game, which is, which is probably the reason Miami or LSU won. But let's let's pump the brakes on LSU suddenly being like a Western contender and like a SEC West contender. I just think this is this is who LSU is. They're 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 a really good defensive team that's that's capable of beating. Other teams that are have some some warts, particularly on offense, and that's exactly what Miami is. Uh, I still think when LSU's got a really as 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 impressive as Joe Burrow was, like it, it, it that didn't that didn't create some new offensive expectation that Joe Burrow is going to sort of take the the league by storm with his no, you know with his arm or something right no i mean like so we we got to see a little jamar chase i was excited feeling like i was uh tipped off thanks to you and shay dixon and sort of where that lsu wide receiver room was going to be in terms of a youth movement so it was exciting to see him uh show up you know our august conversations coming to life on the field in week one but i I'm I'm with you, man. And what every every LSU drive there for a minute, and in like crucial parts of the game, we're starting at midfield. I mean, how that is not much of a tough proposition for an offense yeah. when you're getting that kind of field position advantage. I mean, the punting game for Miami was just horrendous. I mean, they were really like 15, 20, 25 yard punts that combined with you know offensive inefficiency. I mean, the what's the phrase? The hidden yardage. Like yeah. based in the field position advantage. I mean, it was totally going LSU's way. And in a way, I kind of felt like that was vintage LSU, if that makes sense, in terms of winning the game with some good defense and special teams and the hidden yardage and the field playing the field possession battle. Um, but I, I, I'm tending to, to lean more with you and not with uh, the AP voters or some of the public perception with the idea that all is well in Baton Rouge because uh, there there were plenty of of write ups coming out of that game that were sure to to temper expectations and I you picked LSU to win that game and I kind of felt like the tenor of our conversation going into it was uh, it just feels like that one of those games that. Uh, the ACC team is going to lose, but it's not going to necessarily dictate what that team is going to be when they go on with the rest of their season. Yeah, that was a little bit like I felt like the the like Miami just week in week out Miami doesn't see teams like LSU right. on its schedule, and that and I think that that showed, and and so I think Miami is going to 
as they get their confidence and they start feeling like like that, it looked like dogs on that field. And as as Miami starts getting their confidence and they start feeling like, all right, well, we're the we're the dudes on this at every field we step onto now. Like that was, um, you know, that was a false flag week one. I think that we're going to start seeing like a different swagger in that Miami team, and 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 they'll gain confidence and they'll look really solid again. And you know, I'm not worried about Miami other than the fact that I am. Malik Rozier was everything we would we thought he was in the negative sense, right? right. Yeah. I mean, he's still as average as grits, and it, it's <laughs> it's it's a it's a problem, you know, like. Do now, you, hey, well, hold on. I don't think we've recorded 120 some episodes together. I don't think I've heard you use the term average as grits yet. Why not? Every, every once in a while, like the sub like kind of pokes his head out. Um, so, so, you know, uh, love it. Apologies. Or, yeah. No, uh, love it. Keep it coming. Keep serving so, it. So, so, but yeah, like I think, I think, but, but I mean, truly, LSU dominated the line of scrimmage. Um, that the defense was the defense. Dave Aranda's crew repped his name well. Um, but but Malik Rozier's like, the funny thing about Miami is you remember when I was talking in the spring or whenever like hey Miami really wants this guy Jaron Williams to win the job uh, freshman or like you know you'd hear little nuggets about Nikosi Perry uh, making a run and here we are Malik Rozier is still the starter and you know they don't like they you. Like how? What must the rest of the room look like if they're sort of begging someone else to win the job and they're not winning it from him? It's just they're just stuck with this guy. That's fine. Like it's not like he's terrible. He's just he's just no better than fine. And and that's gonna be I think that's gonna put the put a ceiling on this Miami season for uh, you know. It's just gonna put a ceiling on it. There were some self-inflicted wounds, um, but I I in general was a little bit disappointed with Miami defensively in this game. Didn't it feel like they were just making some mistakes and and just a little bit sloppy for the most like it it was the um it was the narrative, it was the role, it was that, you know, Miami came in with the hit stick and the turnover chain and the the top ten expectations and they just just kind of got it feels like maybe they got a little big right yeah i mean like a, yeah yeah i i mean they rolled like i think that there was a lot of miami chirping cuz remember they started uh didn't they start chirping at like before the game too yeah and i don't know who started that fight but there was some sort of rock, like brouhaha a fracas a fracas that was the word i was looking for <laughs> there was a fracas but like hey here's the deal now i mean miami has a, has been chirping and talking that talk now for a year and a half, and they don't play a lot of teams in the ACC. They're about that life. Like LSU is about that life. <laughs> like you're gonna you're gonna talk that talk against LSU. Like they're gonna come with it too. And so, I think that that was a I think it was a little humbling for Miami. Um, I agree. And, you know, I mean that. Sort of. You're not ready. Like, is uh, you, if you were, if we were wondering if Miami's ready. That was a that was a sign that they are not. They might Miami might be back. The U might be back, but they are not ready. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, you're you're like they're the biggest kid in the schoolyard for most of the last year, and then this year they went up against 
and, and LSU's not going to play for in the college football playoffs. But when you you get them in a back alley brawl, like they're going to look as good as anybody out there. So I think that was that was telling. And and I'll say this too, like there's been a lot of Joe Burrow sort of hype after that game, which is a little bit odd to me. Like it wasn't as if Joe Burrow was he wasn't a, he you know he didn't he didn't blow it out of the water. But I, I'll say but I will say this about Joe Burrow, like. I've been, you know, just hearkening back to my Danny Etling defenses back in the day. Like I've, I've, everyone that knows me knows I was a Danny Etling guy. Right. But I'll say this about Danny Etling: when Danny Etling came out against Alabama, he he looked, he you know he didn't look ready. He didn't you know he his eyes were wide in that game, and Joe Burrow looked like the game wasn't too big for him. Now there's gonna be bigger games than even this, but Joe Burrow never. I never got the sense Joe Burrow was in over his head. I never got the sense Joe Burrow out there playing scared. I think Joe Burrow is a confident kid. And remember, this is his first meaningful snaps sure. ever. Yeah. And so so that's like start one. That, that's This is ground zero for Joe Burrow. And so just the, the vibe that he had under center, I think, is, is um, encouraging for LSU. I've seen some of the most talented athletes fail because they lacked one essential ingredient, and that's confidence. Without it, everything else goes to waste. It'll make or break any athlete, and the same is true with life off the field, too, like with moving. It's why Penske Truck Rentals equips its customers with as much confidence as possible to make their moves successful, like offering newer, cleaner trucks that are among the safest on the road. Every truck undergoes a multi-point inspection. Plus, you'll get unlimited miles on those one-way rentals. So if you're just moving somewhere, unlimited miles. So whether you're moving across the country uh, or just around your region or across your state, Penske Trunk Rental helps you move with confidence. And now it's time for Teams on the Move, brought to you by Penske Truck Rentals. And our team on the move for this week is Virginia Tech. The Virginia Tech Hokies moved up from number 20 to number 12 in the new AP poll, which was released on Tuesday. The Hokies had a huge impression uh, in their 24-3 giant stage road win at Florida State. So, Barton, for the Hokies, I'll, I'll ask the, the same question as LSU. As Are you feeling like you're moving with or against some of that fierce momentum uh, that's pushing the Hokies up in the national consciousness? I'm with that now. I am with it. Uh, I, I was that, that was one of the most – and we'll get to Florida State. But, I mean, what, what Virginia Tech put on the field, I felt like was one of the most – impressive showings of the weekend bud foster is the truth yeah everybody out here talking about all these hot coordinators dave aranda gets talked about mike elko gets talked about brent venables gets talked about nobody ever really talks about bud foster he's just sort of the steady you know just you just always know what you're getting with him it's just always going to be a good product but i thought that was a like a statement game for Bud Foster because that that Virginia Tech defense with the, as much turnovers it had, two first round picks, you know, seven starters gone, a bunch of secondary guys, you know, getting lost to attrition, and they that 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 defense was so sound, yes. and 
I mean, it was that was fun to watch. So Virginia Tech, and offensively, like even though they don't have a bell cow running back, that's just they they just looked very under control. Like they knew what they were, and they knew how to get it done. And I just man, I I'm impressed with Virginia Tech. See, I. I'm not willing to jump all the way to say that Virginia Tech is definitively the number 12 team in the Coastal, but I'm absolutely willing to entertain the idea that uh, Virginia Tech might be... If I was if I was given the opportunity to repick right now, I would think really hard about taking Virginia Tech over Miami. I mean... I mean, they've got that Florida State win. Like, we were talking about over... If you're thinking about over-under, or if you're thinking about who's going to be able to... Um, you know, have the the tiebreakers that get that Virginia Tech Miami game is in Blacksburg in November, and Virginia Tech has already gotten past this road game at Florida State. I mean, the idea that they could go seven and one uh, is not crazy. The idea that they could go eight and zero is definitely possible in conference play. Is there is like I don't is there any coaching staff that you like trust? Other than, you know, whatever, Nick Saban or, or uh, Dabo Sweeney. Like, is there, like, are there many coaching staffs in college football that you trust more than Virginia Tech? I don't know there are. Like, I just, whether they've got enough talent to win every game, I don't know. You know, have they done recruiting? But, they, but when, the, when the ball is snapped, like, I just trust Virginia Tech is going to be prepared and is going to be well-coached, have a good game plan. And I, I kind of am mad at myself for underestimating these guys in this game. Like I, I picked Florida State to win and to cover, but I just—it doesn't matter how it doesn't like matter how they get there. It's just Virginia Tech's going to be prepared. And so, yeah, like I think—I mean, look, I don't. This is certainly a week one overreaction, but yeah, my hunch right now is that Virginia Tech is the team to beat in the Coastal. Um, I feel better about them than I do Miami. And I think Josh Jackson's probably a better quarterback than Malik Rozier. Oh, for sure. So, and, and and Josh Jackson's no world beater, but he just, again, you just, he's good enough to where you don't notice him. Like, there was never a point during that game where I'm like, ah, this they, Virginia Tech, man, if they just had a quarterback. And, and and granted, there was never a time when I was like, man, Josh Jackson, that dude is, a, how are they going to stop this kid? But it was just like, he just made the throws you're supposed to make. And yeah, he didn't make all the he didn't make a bunch of like insane throws either. But he he does everything you're supposed to do to give you a chance to win. Nothing more, nothing less, and that, that's all you need at Virginia Tech right now. With at times, and so I, I was just really impressed with, with what they put on the field. And to your point about the uh, you know coaching the trusting staff, how beautiful was that opening script that Justin Fuente had cooked up? Oh God! I mean, that's and that's the other thing is I think Fuente might be. Uh, I think we need to throw Fuente in that same bucket of Lincoln Riley in terms of coaches who have uh, established a deserved reputation as being great play callers and schemers on the offensive side of the ball because he he came out and he was dialing it up and I I love I love the fact that Virginia Tech under Justin Fuente like they had uh, they had Isaiah Ford they had Bucky Hodges and I think those two guys were uh, elite players and I would even add Cam Phillips to that but when you're watching Virginia Tech play there's a lot of like 
HVAC repairmen that are out there making plays at like fullback or, you know, they've, they've got good wider Hazleton. Uh, Hazleton's actually a dude. He's going to have a good season, but I I feel like I'm learning uh, all these new players because he just finds so many good ways to utilize the weapons and put them in a like position to succeed. Virginia tech doesn't need to have uh, the five-star wide receiver because they're just making it happen and they're so sound everywhere else. Yeah. And I mean, uh, you know, they just yeah offensive line was good um they found like yeah like hazelton i don't i don't know whether he's an nfl guy or not he's big though and he and and they and they found a spot where he was going to be better than the guy covered him you know when they throw levante taylor all five nine and a half of him and 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 just clear the clear one side of the field and let let hazelton just go and you know catch a 20-yard fade on the five nine corner, like they're they're just gonna make their the skill they have, they're gonna play to it, and they're gonna find advantages and and exercise them. And so, yeah, I mean, that was just and and but like I said, I think the biggest thing for me was just how disciplined, gap sound, fundamental, like how how physical that like the defense is just clear, like it's a culture. Yeah, the defense just it it's just they're well like it doesn't it's not about scheme as much as it's just about they're always in the right place. They're they're gonna they're gonna beat blocks with physicality and they're gonna make tackles and that's what, and look I mean that and they're gonna play hard hard you know that that the 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 dude that caught uh, Cam Akers on the long 85 yard run you know that saved them seven points uh, and they just they got a lot of those a lot of those little just just hidden plays in there where they just man they're just so good and that is teams on the move uh virginia tech our team on the move for this week as they are on the move up in the polls and rankings and up in everybody's power rankings and up from uh just on the outside to potentially uh being in the driver's seat in the acc coastal uh our thanks to penske truck rental remember they've got the cleanest safest trucks they've all gone through a multi-point inspection and you get unlimited miles on one-way rentals um all right now on the other side florida state and we're gonna we'll let's save willie taggart's uh grade for this for here in a little bit um the the conversations coming out of this one have been hyperbolic it are is is the the panic worthy of the hyperbole right now for florida state <laughs> i mean it was bad uh, like that was not that was pretty ugly are you are you going to separate how bad it was versus what it means yeah i am because well, and also, and I, it is important to bring context to this, in the sense like Willie Taggart, and this is another like regret I have for not sniffing this out a little bit. But I mean, I mean Willie Taggart is bringing in a they're not like it's a totally different system than what Jimbo Fisher ran offensively, and defensively they end up when they settle down they've ended up playing pretty well. Right. So it's really about the offense. Um, now, defense looked pretty bad in the first quarter or so, but once they set up, pretty good. And I think it's really about the offense. And so when you're looking at, A, this is a new system, different than Jimbo Fisher ran. It's going to take some time. You know, B, offensive line has been the biggest weakness on that team anyways. And that, you know, 
that was optimistic to think that they would somehow give, have gotten that figured out in one year. And C, this is Willie Taggart's M.O. Like, he doesn't, he has never, at any of his stops, from Western Kentucky to USF and, and to a certain degree, Oregon last year, they're not overnight turnarounds. And I don't know what that means or why that is, but it, it takes time. In fact, like, <laughs> there's been, like, serious regression even before it's gotten better at, 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 at Western and, and, and USF. And so... I don't know. Like, I guess we shouldn't expect it to be any different at Florida State. You know, there's, I don't think there's any reason to think long term this that that they aren't in, in good hands. But it, that was, hey, that wasn't pretty, man. I thought the defense was fine, and I thought that ultimately the defense kept Florida State even. Like, the defense kept it respectable because that was for a coach who was brought in with offensive reputation with an offensive background and with you know lethal simplicity as its tagline we're going to go hurry up we're going to go up tempo um i mean it was there were bad procedural penalties uh there were bad mistakes obviously five turnovers you know deandre francois said after the game he wasn't going to blame the scheme for anything but it was uh it you know what they look they looked like uh they looked like a Pac-12 team that was out of sorts, and that was strange to see Florida State like that. Like they they looked yeah. like I was watching. Uh, you know how every now and then in the Pac-12, especially once you get into conference play, you'll have those low-scoring games between two teams that run some some spread ends up being like you know like twenty-one to thirteen, but you still have eighty to eighty-five plays in the game for each team. It felt kind of like that where you just. You felt like you were just watching inefficiency every single time they got the ball. Yeah, and and I mean, look, the lethal simplicity thing. I mean, ultimately, what what it boils down to is like they're supposed. The idea is that those guys are playing without thinking, and they're it's it's all second nature. But there's a there's a period of time to like to get to that point to where it is second, like they're they're clearly not they're th- they're thinking right now. Yeah, and so I think. At some point, it'll start clicking, and and they'll be able to play faster, and they'll and it will all become second nature. And um, you know whether the offensive line ever gets straight, who knows? But I think that's ultimately what it's about right now. Is like they are the the things that are supposed to be second nature within that offense aren't there yet, and so it's just gonna look ugly for a little bit. Um, and they probably had the misfortune of going up against a team in week one that's like the worst possible team to play if you're a little sloppy early on because Virginia Tech's not going to be sloppy on defense. You know, yeah. those those guys, even the, like, there were a lot of new faces, but it wasn't like they were playing a ton of true freshmen. Like they were playing guys that have been in the program on defense that have been, you know, coached by Bud Foster and know the scheme for a couple of years. So they weren't just total babies out there, and and they they played like they were the veterans. Um, did you watch the coach's film room? Oh, I was hoping you were going to ask me about that. Did you? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> First of all, uh, what is it? Necessity is the mother of invention. I my wife was watching Bachelor in Paradise, and so you know after a long weekend of football watching. Uh, and you had lost had the big screen. You had lost big screen rights. <laughs> yes. Yeah. My, uh, I, I, I did not get first dibs on uh, 
And so, but that meant that I could watch, I watched the game on my, my, my computer with a tab open on the broadcast where I, and I think Herb Street's the best. And so I, I could listen to Herb Street, but then the, the actual screen, I keep that tab open for the volume and then the screen is the all 22. So I could watch that. Cause I, I think that's the, the, uh, my, my favorite view to watch. So it's like this perfect, I get the broadcast, but I got the all 22 view. And then my third tab I have open just to occasionally check in is the coach's room, which is, which is great, and I've got some. I've got some thoughts on that. What, what were you? What, what, were, what were your thoughts on the film room? Oh, I mean, the I was going to start it with. Uh, they were just screaming at Florida State's offense for running where they didn't have numbers. You know, they was like as Florida State's running these wide splits with like four receivers out to the side. The play is still going to end up being sending. Uh, Cam Akers right into the belly of a Virginia Tech defender. And like the yeah. offensive line looked out of sorts. Virginia Tech was getting penetration on almost every play. And it was it was just funny to watch, um, especially Hugh Freeze, because Hugh Freeze – He was like, the best. Yeah. He was, he was by far my favorite. <laughs> He's, so you're giving MVP the coach's film room to Hugh Freeze? Hugh Freeze was, was the only one that was like consistently giving – like uh, substantive comments. There was a lot of like cliche coach talk because a lot of those guys are fired or retired. And so, and Hughes, the one in there that like is still got a, pr- a pretty sharp mind for it. Um, and, and it was just fun listening to him. There was a great one. So Mac Brown, who was, I guess, he was like to be fair he was sort of there more as a moderator right than anything else. he was, he was, he was supposed to be he was supposed to be spielman spielman's right. done that role before and part of it you know they tell you is like all right now remember you've got to help the audience understand it i thought mac was doing way too much of make them explain it type stuff right and he was also doing a lot of like mac was doing a lot of like well uh all right so second is six here guys like what, what are you gonna call as if like we're in there to play like Madden with these guys. Like that's what coaching is. It's just like calling, you know, I'm going to call an off tackle. Or left. Like it's like, nah, we don't need, we don't need to hear like their play sheet. Just like tell us what you're seeing and, and reacting to it. Uh, but, but <laughs> there were two, there were two exchanges I thought were great where it's like, cause Mac is just not really, he doesn't have that coaching insight and I, whether he ever did, I don't know, but just that's not really his deal at least anymore. And there was one, point uh you know it was like third and short on the goal line or something and uh you know i think uh mora was like hey all right so max what you, so what do you do what's your call here what do you do uh here on third and goal and mac was like what do you do i i, I say uh i say hey pop hey bud hey, hey, go get after him bud make a call <laughs> <laughs> it's like all right thanks for the insight coach. was that when he was like uh i oh, what do i do i asked greg davis what the call is <laughs> there's that one too and there was Another, there was another was great. It was it was like Hugh Freeze was like, um, all right, so we're on the goal line here, and, and um, look, here's what I do. Like if we're third, you know, third third five, we got to have a score here. If it's going, I'm going three by one. You know, if you're going seven across, I'm going to the three man side, um, and 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 we're reading it over there because we got the numbers. Uh, if if not, we're going back to the one receiver side. We're going to hope we got man over there, and and or just hope they're rolling the coverage to the three receiver side and try to get a one on one matchup there. Like just sort of going through, and then, and then Mac Brown goes, "Well, I'll tell you what I'd do. 
I'd find my biggest receiver and I'm just going to throw it up there to him. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like, all right, like, thanks, thanks, coach. Like, I know that, like, a coach is not bringing a lot to the table when I could do the same thing. I could do his job in that film room and, and be okay. And Mac was saying, like, a bunch of stuff that I could have sat there and been like, yeah, throw the, throw the fade to the big guy. Hey, Ma- <laughs> hey, Mac Brown started being a head coach in, like, 88. It's been right. a long time <laughs> since he's been uh, asked to be the exclusive play caller. <laughs> long time um all right i thought that jim morrow was way too chatty well there was late in the game jim morrow i I didn't see the early part because late in the game when i was watching jim morrow sort of he didn't have much to much to add yeah he was Uh, he 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 shot all his uh he shot all his shots real early (laughs) i was locked in from coach's film room started the game didn't even watch the broadcast Big screen was Coach's film room, including at halftime when the camera just still showed them eating sandwiches. Right, that's that's the best. And they just start just like crushing pizza, and and but you just like just sort of sitting on every word, waiting for the next comment. Was Coach's it film room's was great. it Chiswick or Fedora one time that uh, went to the bathroom but kept his microphone on? <laughs> I did not see that. <laughs> That's great. Uh, uh, I, let's see. Todd Graham, he uh, he had a lot of takes about times when he has run an up-tempo off. I mean, they're all of – Chiswick and Mack were the only coaches that don't still have some interest in getting back into coaching. Right, right. Like there's there's but, there's an agenda for Mora, Todd Graham, and, uh, and Hugh Freeze in there. But Freeze is – yeah, but Freeze is the only one in there that I'd hire. Like based on the, based on the film room – like experience freeze deal when I leave being like, uh, uh, let's get him on our staff. And I'll, I'll tell you what too, like Willie Taggart's been in that film room and I've not been that impressed with, with Willie Taggart's film room uh, showing. And, and that's, so that's not to say he's a bad coach, but it's like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I think, you know, obviously different coaches are different. They're going to, some coaches are, are built for that better than others. Um, but I think it's always interesting to to see who the who's really kind of bringing the most to the table in those conversations. Uh, Robbie Callen had a great observation. He said that it, the coaches' film room was filled with all the coaches that he's made a bunch of money fading over the years. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. Todd Graham, Jim Mora, Mac Brown, Gene Chizik, and Hugh Freeze. Not uh, not the against the spread monsters that are going to be looking for market inefficiencies and taking advantage of them. Yeah. Uh, all right, time to grade. Let's let's start right there. Willie Taggart. I'm interested here uh, because uh, the good listeners should know. I'm I I came in you know with my uh, you know very simple you know state school educated. I'm I only know no letters, but from the Ivy League, Yale man right over here. <laughs> he's he's taking it another level. He's going abstract. This is next level thinking. You've got all kinds of different ways for these to, for these grades. I have, yeah. Well, I mean, look, they're all different. Football, they're all playing in very different spheres, very different uh, climates in week one. Agree. So I thought they deserve different uh, different takes. I wanted to start. So, like, did you have a grade for all of the teams that played one double A schools? A and M, Mississippi State, Arkansas. Soft Florida. Did you did you grade all those? Yes. All right. So I'll, I'll give you my I will give you my collective on those four. All right. Like my daughter 
here is she's almost three and we'll have a, like a chart for her. And if she like does something she's supposed to do, we'll give her like a sticker. And so, you know, and these things like aren't like tough tasks, right? Like they're like, if you are sweet to your little sister, who's one, which basically means like if you haven't put her in like a rear naked choke, choke <laughs> right. like that day, like, make it like if, the, you, if you not it, like scratched yeah. her like, like face all up or, you know, then she gets a sticker. You know, have you have you gone potty? And we're not even talking taking a dump. Like we're talking just TT. And if she has accomplished that, you know, she gets a sticker. So I'm not asking for a lot out of these these. Like this is AM, Mississippi State, Arkansas, Florida. I'm not digging in into those because all they had to do was basically win by a lot of points and they get a sticker. And so AM, Mississippi State, Arkansas, and Florida. And my grading scale, they just get stickers for not screwing up, up their sister and by not, not peeing in their pants. They get they get stickers from me. So I'm curious if you went deeper on those and and how you how you even dug in because it seemed like they all blew them out and that's enough for me. I so there was a, there was a cap uh, for Jimbo Fisher. I gave him a B. Uh, I thought that the the wrinkle that took this from uh, ho like basically. My uh, baseline for the FCS was C plus, which I guess a C plus is like a sticker, right? Like that's if you if if you showed me anything more than just win, or if you gave me any reason to be excited, or maybe more importantly, if you gave the fans you know a little something that they wanted. Uh, for Jimbo Fisher, I'm gonna say B. I thought that they got uh, some decent quarterback play. I love the fact that they're starting to work in the tight ends. And I think that in general, uh, it was it was pretty stress free, and so I, I gave Jimbo Fisher a B. Yeah. I gave I gave Dan Mullen a B. the The big things for me were, uh, you know, Felipe Franks. You're starting to showcase what he can be. You're starting to to work in some schemes that are going to be conducive to highlighting the athleticism advantage that Florida has at a lot of the skill position players. You had the shovel pass. I mean, the jump pass. You were making it feel very uh, throwback in a positive way for a program that hasn't really seen big-time success in a decade. And so because you gave that candy to the fans, uh, I, I elevated Dan Mullen from C-plus to B. Uh, Chad Morris, I it might be unfair that I left him at the C plus B minus range, but I just didn't have any one of those tangible. I mean, they put 55 on the board had a, I think like a four touchdown quarter in the first half, but I didn't have enough uh, tangible uh, sort of springboard into the, into the next game, into the season, inspire a lot of confidence vibes coming out of there. So I left him at like basically sticker plus. So like C plus, B minus, somewhere in that you're you've passed, you're going to get credit for it, but I didn't have some of the extra flair that I felt coming out with uh Jimbo Fisher and Dan Mullen. All right. So what what did you say Mississippi State? Uh Mississippi State A, because no Nick Fitzgerald, uh Keaton Thompson still lit it up and considering all those circumstances. Actually, I think Joe Moorhead might be my only A. No. Yeah, one of my only A's. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, look, I agree. I agree with all of that, um, but ultimately, it's sort of uh, ultimately it's just an FCS uh, chip. You only get stickers. Get these participation <laughs> trophies out of here. Yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, you, you get an attend like you showed up to class. 
You know, you didn't get a you didn't get an absent grade. You hey, know, you and you know what? Class and I, the, the, the real test is coming later. Hey, I went to North Carolina, and you can get an A just for coming and signing the sheet <laughs> a lot. That's right. Uh, all right, well, I bet I know who your other A is. I bet you have one more A, and I bet I know who it is. Do you yeah. have more than one other A? No, I just have one more A. Is it our boy Herm? Oh no, I've got, I've got, I've got Herm a B. I've got high. How are you going to give Herm a B? All right, <laughs> I got Herm. I got Herm as this is my, uh, I think my only letter grade, but I gave Herm an A plus. Forty nine to seven win. Everyone was assuming that that Arizona State was like doomed when Herm Edwards was hired. And and hey, we had our fun at the expense of that hire too, and it's there's still a lot of, you know, who knows? Maybe it was a stupid hire, but in week one, with that showing, like we know that UTSA was the type of team where, at the very least, I feel confident UTSA was going to be well coached. At the very least, UTSA is going to be is going to put up some resistance. And Arizona State went out and they just handled their business and did it in a, you know, didn't break much of a sweat, did what they're supposed to do. And I think, like, that's a, I don't know how, you know, you can't ask for much better in week one against a, a, a respectable group of five opponents. So I gave Herm and Arizona State uh, a big AA plus type of grade. I, I love, I mean, the, I, it was a B, high B for me on Herm. And I, I think that, the the general sentiment that I feel is absolutely shared with you though where uh, I and I think that we did the the full spectrum right because we had a bunch of laughs when he was hired and there was the press conference and the Devil's Digest but by the time kickoff started I know I had flipped all the way oh, yeah. around and I think that you had too to the point where now I'm thinking that Arizona State. Uh, Arizona State being good and exceeding expectations might be one of my favorite Pac-12 storylines. Yeah, you did. Did you have? Yeah, you had Arizona State as actually one of your overplays for yep. your locks. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So we'll, yeah. So let's 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 be clear. We're we're we and especially you are on the record as being as being contrarian to that like Herm Edwards hate. Oh, so, I can't wait to see this explode meltdown. <laughs> Like, I don't know, man. You know what it yeah. takes to, to really cause a meltdown is a lot of intense scrutiny and pressure. You know where there's not a lot of intense scrutiny and pressure? At Arizona State. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, and he's high, you know, look, he, the guy knows how to coach a team. Like, he's, and I think the, the, like the only real question I had was recruiting. And, and he'll be fine in a living room. He'll be great as an actual recruiter, but does, does the actual, process of developing or list evaluating like reaching out calling kids like the the mechanics of the process is where i have my questions and we'll you know that's that's to be determined but on the field so far they're checking out so where's your who was your other a then uh josh heupel okay yeah i mean i i yeah i thought i thought that was a like it was uconn yes but ucf looked good you know, yeah. I did. Yeah, I mean, it was, I had no complaints about UCF. It was a uh, continuation of university residual income. I mean, they they uh, they they were just as they were just as friendly to the over to the 
you know, to this point spread as they were last year under Scott Frost. Like they were just looked like they were just you know scoring at will. I kind of like that UConn quarterback a little bit earlier in the game. I was like, man, that guy can make a few plays, but it was just too much firepower for 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 UConn. So yeah, UCF uh, checked out. I, I gave literally I, I, my 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 grade for Hypo was a check mark. Like he's you check the box. Yeah, you got by UConn. That's all it was. Whoa, whoa, so, whoa, whoa, whoa. No bonus points for the rivalry win? This was the civil conflict. Definite bonus right. points for getting it done in the civil conflict. No, but now that now that Bob Diaco's gone, the, the, the civil conflict is gone, so now the game is back to just normal old UConn. If only Bob Diaco was still there to hype this rivalry up, that would have been a, a much more significant win. But instead, they just get a check, a check in the in the win box for Josh Heupel. Speaking of Bob Diaco, uh, Scott Frost incomplete. Yeah, no grade. Yeah, no grade there. Sorry. Uh, where do you want to go next? What's all right? So what's your what is? Uh, I'm I'm excited to see. Is this a letter grade or what is the grade for Kevin Sumlin at Arizona? <laughs> uh, I gave Kevin. This was actually the hardest one to ter- determine what my 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 criteria should be. I gave him a – I just – it was a pass-fail grade that I gave him a fail. Yeah. And and I think the the hard thing for me was I think they've totally it – was, it was like they've tried to turn Khalil Tate into a quarter oh, – that's not, that's not the right phrasing. But they've, they've tried to – they've taken away what Khalil Tate does best. I think he had what, like nine carries or something, eight carries on the day. For 14 yards. With like, I think only, you know, with like one or two of those being scrambles and like maybe only four or five or six designed run calls. That's the thing. Like I only, yeah, like I saw, and I didn't watch all of the second half, but through the first half and the you know first part of the second half, I saw very few designed quarterback runs. Mm-hmm. And and that's, to me, like what is, what are we doing here? If you're just going to decide that Khalil Tate's going to be a drop back passer, then he's, then he's average. He's got a strong arm, but he's average. And so why are we deciding that the most dynamic athlete at the quarterback position in all of college football is not going to use his athleticism? And so I, I, that's, a, that's a hard fail to me. And I was, I was really disappointed in them in, in that sense. And again, I go back to Kenny Amatololo. Like, I hate to harp on this, but golly, man, if he was there, I get I, – I, they would not have lost to BYU. It was it was there. very very sad on both sides of that because as I'm watching the Khalil Tate performances that I loved like fade away from the photograph like this is Back to the Future. I'm also watching yeah. Navy get worked by Hawaii. That's fair. Yeah. It was a, it was a straight like like there is another. Uh, there's another reality not too far from ours where Kenia Matalolu is the head coach and he's putting up touchdown after touchdown with Khalil Tate as his quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. And and i and, and as a contrast too, I know that this wasn't a head coach, but uh, a little bit of a rebirth for uh Kalani Sataki at, at, oh, at BYU. Jeff Grimes, man, how about that guy as an offensive coordinator? That's a little bit of like what so you know he was under he he worked with Matt Canada last year at LSU and Matt Canada has all that jet sweep motion stuff and and shifts and trades and all that stuff and 
it was too much for Ed Orgeron, and he and he couldn't handle it. Didn't like it. Got to have drama. I mean, just watch it. I bet you, if if the offense was what Jeff Grimes was running, Orgeron would have been okay with it because he he incorporates a lot of that Matt Canada stuff, and there was a lot of that jet sweep stuff that that they uh, that they did a really good job with. Um, but he also still lined up and looked like, you know, Stanford at times, um, and just, just went downhill and didn't, you know, so he, he, he had a good balance and he threw some pace in there at times and tempo. And so I thought, you know, not to get off track, but I thought Jeff Grimes, I mean, that BYU team was pretty bad last year and they, that was a impressive turnaround in, in week one. I thought they controlled the line of scrimmage. Offensive line had a new vibe to it. So that was, that was fun to watch. Yeah, I agree. Uh, BYU might, uh, B, BYU looks like they're much, much improved to the point where, you know, that, that BYU result might look very different in November, but I will say that my concerns about Arizona are probably, uh, opponent like, like they, they are, they're not determined. They're not determined only by the opponent because so much of it is, What's it going to be with Khalil Tate? So I'm fascinated because there's no way Kevin, like Kevin Sumlin reads stuff. He might even listen to this podcast. Hey coach, let's, uh, let's work in some of the quarterback run game. Yeah. If you're listening coach and we, we, we sure would appreciate it because Khalil Tate's a lot more fun to watch. College football is a better game when that dude is off and running. Um, where do you want to go next? I've got one other F. I would go. I would. I would start high and work down. So I. I would go next. My next highest grade, which would be Ole Miss. Uh, oh yeah, gave, we got to count Matt Luke. Yeah, you didn't include our boy Matt Luke. I mean, so but I, that's that's an A. Like I. I would give him that A or a B plus for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I gave it a. I gave it a a hold grade. Buy sell hold. I gave it a hold grade because like I do think. As impressive as that was, it's it's it. We need to be like that's a stock that's going to make you money for a while, and and hopefully you already bought it and you can hang on to it. But I wouldn't go buying Ole Miss right now based off that because they did play a Texas Tech team that is traditionally pretty bad on defense. They did play a Texas Tech team whose starting quarterback got hurt in what the first half mm-hmm. uh, played a true freshman quarterback after that, which limited them offensively. Um, and this is game one in a season in which Ole Miss does not have a lot of depth. And so they're going to be a scary matchup for Alabama week three. Like they're going to give Alabama all at once on that side of the ball. But I, I still like my bet on Ole Miss has always been like one through 11, as good of an offense as there is in the country. But Want, if, if they get a little bit of attrition as the season progresses, like it's going to be a, a team that could could fade a little bit. So uh, so hold on to the stock right now. Definitely don't sell it. But I, I'm not sure I'd put a buy a buy grade on it yet either. Yeah, I will say that as the as the individual debut goes, there is nothing but positivity and warm feelings for Matt Luke and Ole Miss. Absolutely. Yes. That that was exactly Agreed. what you wanted to see if you were an Ole Miss fan or interested in, in Ole Miss being successful. All right, so what's your next yes. uh, at the top? Uh, next one is sort of a, I guess, yeah, I gave another pass fail, and, and this one I gave to Oregon pass. 
Like that's a passing grade. Yeah, I'm at C plus with that one, and that's because I was not happy with the 10-0 Bowling Green start. <laughs> right. I'm just. Right. I'm just I saying. Think everyone saw that score and was like, "All right, whoa, what, what, whoa." Uh, um, but ultimately, they got rolling. They scored a bunch of points. Justin Herbert looked impressive. That yeah, I. What do you want? You know, they've won by 34 points. So I'm giving them a. I'm giving them a passing grade. Uh, and, and it's sort it's, it's almost like a, uh, you know, a, a, an extension of the, the smiley faces, uh, or the, the, the stickers, you know, it's, a, a we'll find out. Yeah. I, I as, didn't, as I didn't come out of the Oregon opener with any different feelings, positive or negative where like I'm coming out of, uh, Florida state with, you know, some, a few more doubts about the instant impact of Willie Taggart, where I'm coming out of Florida, uh, with maybe a little bit more encouraging science for Dan Mullen, I am completely C plus neutral on Mario Cristobal at Oregon right now. Yes, ex- yeah. What do we? Yeah, no ch- opinion has not changed. Opinion has not changed. Better or worse? Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I'm no. Uh, I'm no Sportsline Kenny White with my power ratings, but my power rating would not have changed. Yes. What you got next? Where, where you want to go next? Uh, I got C minus for Jeremy Pruitt. Yeah, I gave him a, um, I gave him a credit score of six hundred, <laughs> uh, because like, you know, he like he inherited a, a program that had had run up a lot of credit card bills. You know, we gotta get you in it, on afford. a debt consolidation plan right now. Yeah, like it's it's you know they. they it's going to take some time to build that credit back up. Like they've got some, they've got some work to do. Like it's just going to take time. It's, yeah. you, you, you can't, there's nothing that's going to increase that credit score, but time. And so this is when you have a, when you have, when you don't have a great credit score, you're going to get, you know, you're going to have some, some humbling moments. Um, but you know, there, this is just going to take some time. It's funny, like I was, um, I post this on the Tennessee board 24-7, but I was uh, talking to an NFL scout recently that, that um, does, you know, ha- has Tennessee and, and, you know, the way they operate, they'll have an A, like an A school, a B school, a C school, A schools, you know, f- first round, second round type NFL prospects. You get there, you, you, you know, you give them the full, your full attention. B school, you know, they got maybe a late round guy, guys, a couple guys that could maybe be upside guys, whatever you go and you, you try to get your eyeballs on them at some point, if you can uh, watch film and, and then get out. And then there's a C school, which is the school that is basically uh, they don't really have any prospects of note. You get in there. If you're around, you watch film, but you don't really make an effort even to get to practice. If you don't, if you, if, if you're pressed on time, because it's not really worth the effort. MTSU just for context is a B school Tennessee is a C school right now. Oh my god! But I but now keep in mind that's ref, that is talking about basically strictly senior prospects. Okay. Like like they don't care like no NFL scouts care about non draft eligible guys and usually they don't even care about juniors who might ultimately be draft eligible later in the season um, because they'll they'll have time to catch up on them. But I think it was just it was just telling and and an eye opener to me like you know those guys are looking at this from a different perspective and it's like 
they just don't like they don't have the guys and they don't they don't these seniors who have been there for a few years many of whom were highly regarded prospects just they don't they don't have anybody in the NFL's attention they don't care about those guys right now and every, and we're sitting here thinking and sometimes I make this mistake oh Tennessee's got talent like it's yeah about no, I mean, that talent work. You, you look at Butch Jones's recruiting classes and the way that they ranked and you just yeah. sort of progress in in your head or use the even the 24 7 talent composite and you're like why yeah mm. yeah and so and and hey that again Tennessee might be a B school by by midseason if like Juwan Jennings or Shy Tuttle or Jonathan Congo or somebody like really starts balling out. But just right now, the reality is is what it is, and that like it's not really a priority for NFL scouts for uh, for their upperclassmen. And so that I think that's a that's a good reminder to us of what our expectations should be for Tennessee this year. It was good to see Shy Tuttle getting out there, getting moving again. Yeah, yeah. I feel I feel like that's another one of the uh, the the many big big recruiting wins for Tennessee that uh that you that you're waiting to see play out oh how did your boy jalen hurd look at baylor i don't know i hadn't checked that box score I, that was I mean, another one where it's like all right they played a, they played abilene christian or whoever they played and it was 55 to 20 or whatever and i was like yeah whatever whatever happened happened c minus uh i gave to jeremy pruitt c minus was also my grade for jonathan smith at oregon state yeah that's i i also had a c minus i had like a 72 Right. I can't. I can't give a. you a D. I can't give you an F. You played Ohio State, you know. Yeah, yeah. We don't have expectations for you. You didn't. You didn't. Yeah. Sort of like, look, man. Whatever you get out of them, you get. You got work to do. No one's expected much out of that game. You scored thirty-one points. Uh, so tip of the cap to you for that, buddy. Uh, but we'll 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 re we'll revisit you later in the later in the year. It's gonna be a long, long rebuild for Oregon State it's kind of weird to think like they were uh, what was it? I mean they they weren't that long ago that they, they were decent right 2008 okay they were so per, right, no no they 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 were feisty when they had Sean Mannion at quarterback and that would might have yeah. been like 2012 2013 I mean there were there were some Pac-12 champion level Oregon teams that had to deal with some scares right there in the Chip Kelly, Mark Helfer era. I feel like they were like Jaquiz Rogers. Uh, that was an 08 team. That was the 08 team that beat USC, which was uh, big for the BCS playoff, the BCS standings that year. So I I don't know. It just it, it seems as though the distance between Oregon State and the rest of that division is so, so far, you know? Where it, like even even if you improve the personnel, it's going to be hard to start giving the Beavers wins when you're doing your your win total count up. It's not Kansas bad, um, but it might be it might be who's who's without a doubt like it might be who's without a doubt like the bottom of the Big Rut- Ten. Rutgers, Rutgers, maybe it might be Rutgers, Rutgers bad. bad. It is Rutgers bad. I mean, this look. I don't care who it is. Seventy-seven points. That's some high school stuff. That's some. That's some like single A high school stuff. Like that's the. That's like that's like when there is a team that just barely has enough players to field a roster, and the team that has got, you know, four D one players nine, on nine, it. Yeah, ninety five kids uh, on the sideline they're just going to put up 77 by accident. Like that's so 
you know, that, that's a ways to go. There's, that, that's, that is absolutely one of the worst teams in Power 5 just based on that score alone, even though it's Ohio State. So, uh, that, but that, hey, look, that'll be something to watch, though, because my, my opinion will – I'm looking forward to seeing if my opinion can, can evolve on Oregon State. Did you mention or did, I, did we mention our, our grades for Taggart? No. What do, who, what do you have? Uh, my tagger grade is a, is a 49. So remember, so when I first, and when I started, uh, like junior high and seventh grade, uh, it was my first year at a, a pretty like high academic private school. And I remember like my first like math test, whatever math you have at that age, is it like maybe pre-algebra or something? And I, I remember Mr. Wims was my teacher. And we get our first quiz back, and in big red ink, it's it, the grade is 49. Please see me after class. <laughs> it was like, I, I think it said something like, I believe you can do better. See me after class, please. And it's like 49. It was such like an eye opening, like, oh my God. Like, 49? Didn't he? Like, I just got a 4900 on a quiz. Like, this is going to be a long few years at this school. And, and look, ultimately I did okay and I graduated and, but it all started at 49 and I think that's where Willie Taggart is. It doesn't get much worse than what we saw. Punt blocked, uh, you know, procedure penalties looked like they got totally out coached. Uh, you know, the, even when they should have scored the touchdown, Willie Taggart ran hurry up offense and, and snapped the before there was time for a, a replay to hit and, and for them to overrule and, and, and score the touchdown. And so, like, it just felt like across the board everywhere was just – it was just bad. So it's not just a 62F. Like, to me, it was like a 49 bad, bad score. 24-3, what's the, what is the um, – what, what's the nugget that's going around? Is like Jimbo Fisher hadn't, didn't ever lose a home game by more than 11 or something? Um, he, they haven't had just three points in a home game since 2008 and that would have been Bowden. So yeah. Yeah. And and they haven't had less than a touchdown in a home game. Yeah. And I think there's something like Jimbo Fisher's never home game by more than 11 or something. Anyway. So it's, that's to me, home game, the way they did, that was like the worst performance of any of these. I'm such a man. I'm, I'm I'm being too friendly here. I gave What'd you give him? I gave him a D. Why? What was that? What was what was your what was your positive takeaway there? The, and again, I'm not even saying like my point in, in in comparing it, like, look, he could go on and be a great coach. This is what Willie Taggart does. This I'm not grading the higher enough, but that performance was very uninspiring for week one and you know in in the Willie Taggart era. I, so what did, so what was your what were your positive takeaways? Uh, that defensively I thought that the linebackers once they were totally out of position did about everything that they could. The defensive front looked okay. They were flying around and while Virginia Tech is not uh, as you mentioned like world beaters on offense, the fact that they had some part of that team that was able to hold that thing together to where like I mean, are you so you've got the the punt which was basically lifted off the punter's foot and taken into the end zone. And you've got the opening touchdown. And outside of that, this was like mostly a stalemate. And that was the fact that it was even uh, mostly a stalemate 
besides a few explosive plays, I, I think was a, a win for a, for just something for Florida State to hold on to moving forward. Yeah, I guess my thing with it was just that, look, I, I thought Florida State looked like they had – they weren't outclassed from a talent perspective. Like, they looked like they were Outcoached. as talented, if not more talented, than Virginia Tech. The difference was just, to me, like you – you don't often see a clear coaching discrepancy like that. And I'll reiterate, like that doesn't mean that Florida State will forever be outcoached by Virginia Tech. It might just take time for those guys to feel comfortable in the new system. It might take time for Willie Taggart's staff to, to win the trust and get those guys to play you know, at, at the level and play hard, as hard as they need to. But in week one, it just he just looked they, Florida State looked like they were being outcoached. Okay, of all these coaches, and, and feel free to not include Taggart because we've been talking about this one, or include him, do whatever you want. Uh, of all these coaches, where do you think you will have the most change in opinion between now and the end of the season? You left one out. Who? UCLA. Oh, F, Chip Kelly. <laughs> oh, my gosh. How did I overlook that one? Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah. that. So mine, my grade for, for uh, UCLA is... is um, like a, a, I graded UCLA as if it was a like a p- piece of real estate, like a, a piece of property, and it's a it gets like a condemned grade, like it's a teardown. It's a like Chip Kelly saw UCLA, <laughs> great neighborhood, great valuable piece of property, good bones. You know what? I'm gonna buy it. Forget the inspection. I don't even need the inspection. I'm just gonna pay cash. I'm gonna take this house. You know, and if this thing has if this thing is 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 nice, then great. That's a plus. But but I don't even care because it's UCLA. It's in the Pac-12. It's, it's a national brand. I'm taking it. Who cares and if I, they got termite damage? Because I'm gonna tear it down in a year right, and a half anyway. Right. The inspector just showed up, or the mailman came by and like dropped off the you know some mail and realized that there's like like nails sticking out of the <laughs> uh, you know the deck and and the the roof's about to cave in. He calls you know whoever you call. And it's like, hey, this, this, y'all may need to check this house out. And the city comes out and they're like, yeah, this is, this, you're going to need to tear this thing down. So Chip's got some good bones, you know. He's got a couple five stars on defense. He's got Dorian Thompson Robinson, true freshman at quarterback, who's going to be there eventually. You know, there's a foundation here, but this is a teardown. This is a, we thought we were hoping we had something when we took UCLA. In week one, we were going to find out if it was any good. And we found out. We got to tear the whole dang thing down and start building up back from scratch. It's going to be a freshman laden team. The one big run they had was the Casimir Allen kid, the true freshman with some wheels. That was the one where they were, where, you know, they got loose and had a big touchdown, which is what the UCLA offense is all about. So they're just going to have to, what Chip Kelly's offense is all about. So I think they're just going to have to lean on freshmen, get some young guys in there and just, take their lumps this year and understand that this is just going to be a throwaway season and and they're gonna and they're gonna hope to be better by next year see the chip kelly's the one where i don't think that there will be any dramatic changes in my grades or expectations between now and the end of the season and uh one of the i think the los angeles times writer uh, mentioned that like chip kelly uh in the writer's opinion was almost too casual about how poorly things had gone as if um this was absolutely part of his expectation that this might happen or that the game would play out that way, as though Chip Kelly even knows that he's in this thing for the long haul and that this is, as you mentioned, a teardown because I that was it. It's like I was like, man, 
Chip Kelly does not look very concerned compared to the fanfare and the alarm that the rest of the college football world is feeling. He knows this this program and this team better than anyone else. I don't think that I should expect great things from UCLA if it doesn't seem like he expects great things from UCLA yet. This is going to be a really weird thing to watch with UCLA. Just all of it. Agreed. There's a like they currently UCLA's is 86th in the country in recruiting. They got seven commits. They they aren't. They're not going to go outwork people on the recruiting trail. They're going to try to be smarter than people on the recruiting trail. And there's a little bit of arrogance there. And I think that that plays a little bit into the you know the way he responds, uh, you know, to that loss too. It's like kind of like all right, we're you know, you guys can overreact if you want. I know what I'm doing. This is we're going to be okay. And that's look maybe maybe he's right. I'm just saying it's if if it, if it doesn't turn. Because they, I think they just assume the product on the field is going to recruit itself. We're going to out-evaluate people. We're going to outsmart people in the in football. And if and at some point, if you don't like reach a critical mass on that, and the and and the t- the scale doesn't start tipping, then I, I I feel like that's there's a danger that you're going to really get yourself in some trouble there with recruiting classes that aren't stacking up and an on-field result that is taking a longer period of time than maybe you know your attitude allows i I don't like you see what i'm getting at like oh yeah no because the but because he's got this full year as of of wiggle room i i believe he's got at least one year of wiggle room oh he does but like it's going to be weird this year you're 100 percent right and then it's just going to be on chip kelly to see if Things are going to improve because the he is setting himself up for the backlash to be intense. There is also uh, the counterpoint of how intense can the backlash be at UCLA, and how much do you think that has in big picture played a factor in him choosing the Bruins over Florida? Right. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. Like you're going to get a a longer leash at UCLA than you would at Florida. Like they wouldn't put up with this stuff, and I think that that's. To, to you know that's to chip Kelly's benefit and I think you know probably most coaches should get more time than they get and get more patience than they get and if he's able to get a little more time at UCLA then that's again I think that's good for college football because eventually I suspect chip Kelly will get it going but you know and let's be clear we're not talking about this is all a week one reaction and there's a lot of season to go but i do think this could potentially be a very weird season for ucla so which of the coaches do you think has the best chance to be able to change uh the tone the grade uh the quality of the debut into their final grade? because i'm we're going to come back at the end of the season and and apply new grades based on the entire body of work where do you think the most uh change either improvement or maybe uh if things go south where do you think that's going to be You know, I, I, I think I, I could see Tennessee not making a dramatic change. I could just see them as the season progresses and they get into the back end. Like, I could, like they're going to have a game. Well, even even if the scale, even if the record looks ugly, even if they finish five and seven or something, they're going to have a game where they like almost beat. Alabama, or almost not, and that's you know whatever, almost or almost beat 
LSU or I don't know if you know who they played. They played maybe almost beat a Georgia. Um, and I just think they've got some they've got some impressive performances in them as the season progresses, even if that's not a win. But I just think like you'll I, I have a sense, I have a feel that by the end of the year we're gonna kind of like the direction that Tennessee is going. And I kind of liked what they you know a lot of what I saw in week one, even even though it was an ugly score. Um, like there was some, there was some reason to be encouraged at times out there for Tennessee. I think that we'll see, uh, we'll see a lot of, uh, improvement and this is, uh, this is a little bit optimistic, but I think we will see improvement from Mario Cristobal and Oregon and, and you, you know, you gave it a, a check plus it's Bowling Green, but I'm, I'm not willing to sell that stock there at all where, I, where I might be sort of leaning off a little bit and then the uh the the one where i'm curious to see if it's going to be able to be maintained at least in terms of you know sort of the the big picture general vibes is is probably jimbo fisher and that's going to start right now with clemson coming to town on saturday man that's that's yeah we're gonna learn a lot on that one we've uh because we hey we don't know a&m may be like a world away or they might be really really close it's just we we're not gonna know until Saturday. My hunch is Clemson by two touchdowns, maybe more. Uh, if if Clemson wins by two touchdowns, that's probably a a like that's a passing grade in week two for Jimbo, don't you think? I don't know. I'm 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 just ready for that game to say way more about Clemson than it does about Texas A and M. Like if 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 Clemson wins thirty one seventeen, I don't. Th- I think any any A and M fan is going to leave being like, "Wow, man, we like what what the hell? When is when are we going to get this thing going, Jimbo?" Mm-hmm. I think if if they go out there and play competitive and it's a four quarter game, not that A and M fans are the most sort of forgiving in the world, but I don't think it's, it's a like a win or bust situation for this. Like it's still they're, they're, they are what twelve point dogs or something. Yeah. So I don't know. It's begging you to take them. Yeah, it's it it's that game and uh, the South Carolina game. So the question is, which of those two do you? Which of those two double-digit home dog, home SEC dogs, home SEC double-digit dogs? Which one is gonna make it interesting, and which one was just the uh, the temptation and the candy to make you want to jump on it? What's the other one? South Carolina, ten and a half against oh, Georgia. Oh, that's a ten and a half. Yeah, man, those are both kind of kind of enticing lines. I, I think I got, I'm I on South Carolina, and not Texas A&M. Yeah, yeah, we'll see what we'll see what kind of courage I get as the week progresses. As, as the meditate, I've already <laughs> <laughs> as you enter your dojo meditation chamber. That's right. And really start that's feeling right. the gut out. Um, all right, so. Coming up uh, next, tomorrow's show, we're going to be starting to look ahead to some of those biggest games for Wednesday, doing a little bit more of a deep dive, going to tap some experts to jump on. And week two still got a great schedule, so we'll be digging more into that, including those games. Then, of course, on Thursday, uh, you're going to be able to catch up with the week two locks. Have you gone back to uh, to see how the uh, the opening weekend of locks treated you, what your record was? Yeah, treated me treated me well treated me well i was uh four one and one with a net plus three michigan my only loss and cal cal gave me a push with a late touchdown backdoor um uh, or they gave up a late touchdown backdoor to push but uh so i felt pretty good i felt pretty good i'm seeing the ball pretty well week one 
Um, did not hit on Texas. I did not hit on Washington. I did not hit on Tennessee. I did hit on the BC UMass under and the Florida State Virginia Tech under. I did not hit on Michigan and I did not hit on Troy. Bad week for Chip. Bad week. Hey, hey, this has been not now. Now we got something to see, you know. Now, now we get to now. Now we got something to grade, something to go off of. A lot, sure, a lot of wins left out there. <laughs> Make sure that you subscribe to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Leave us five stars. Leave us a review. Leave us a rating. Uh, we appreciate those of y'all that do that. I was going in, uh, checking the reviews uh, recently. We had, uh, we had a hater, a hater who, who thinks that, you know, we're just too big on the SEC, but, you know, such, such is life uh here but i think that we've gotten plenty of compliments and and we appreciate those in terms of us being able to to reach out to all the programs and we're going to continue to try to do that uh y'all are helping make us uh up in the top 50 we've been hanging out there and uh, now we're trying to get to the top 30 top 25 so just keep going to itunes subscribe and tell your friends we appreciate all of the support He is Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Barton, thank you very much.